Well, is this the Bronx or is this BET? Not sure. But it's all good. It's all good. All right, I got a couple of announcements for us here. And then I have uh, two bits of faith-building encouragement I want to give you. Uh, first of all, we're going to have a meeting today at 12 o'clock for anybody that's transferring or wanting to transfer or move into the Bronx region. So at 12 o'clock, we will meet here. So I know after church, we love the fellowship, but we're going to have to move that out into the hallway so at 12 o'clock, we can meet here. If you have kids, your kids can come be a part of it. There's nothing private. Uh, but it's going to be 12 o'clock here uh, for all the mission team leaders and anyone wanting to move in or transfer in. Also, we will not have a midweek this week. Uh, thus, the gym will not be open this week. Uh, when we don't have midweek, we also don't have the gym. So if you're planning to play ball, not this week. You have to wait till next week when we have a midweek service. And then the third thing is simply uh, we have these green envelopes. These are for your special missions contribution. Uh, if you want to start giving it early, you can do that. Just ask the usher for an envelope. Inside the envelope is directions uh, where to send it to. So you will personally send the envelope off from your house or your work, wherever, with your missions contribution in it. So you will be mailing that in. Uh, but on the day of missions contribution, we will also take it up here at church. So you can either start mailing it and doing it early, or you can do it on the day of missions contribution. Either one is totally up to you, but we are asking that they would be put in these green envelopes. So if you need one, just ask one of the ushers during contribution or afterwards, and they'll be happy to give one to you. So I have a couple of bits of good news. Uh, first, let me just play this short video uh, that my daughter took on the phone uh, from this past Friday. So can you dim the lights a little bit, um, Mr. Stanley? Eventually. Let me bust the rap while you're waiting for the lights to go. <laughs> okay, you work on that while I share my other bit of good news. Are we all right? Are you in the dark? Stanley, come into the light. Maybe we don't need to dim the light. Maybe we can just go with it. Now, you can't see that again without the light dim, huh? Okay, let me share another bit of good news as Stanley's working on that. Uh, I know that there's been a lot of miracles. Um, the crossing of the Red Sea was a miracle. Um, the sun standing still and everything in Joshua for 24 hours, the sun was still. There's been a lot of miracles in life. Well, I want to share a miracle with you also. And that is the fact that our very own Jonathan Butler is now dating. <laughs> Stand up for a minute, Jonathan. <laughs> It's a miracle. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> but uh, we had a couple of sisters from Kansas City that came to visit us. You might may remember a couple, three or four months ago. And uh, one of them said, I want to go on a date. And I said, I got the perfect guy for you. And so John went on a date with her, and it's been love ever since. And uh, he was pretty cool about that. He's got a lot of advice. It's very good. I appreciate that. You've been a, a great spiritual man in this journey. And he gave her this globe. And it's what you would give to somebody if you want to give them the world, but you can't. 
So he gave her this flow. It was very good. It was pretty smooth. Though. I got to say, that was pretty smooth. Though. You did a good job with that. So we're having light issues. All right. Anyway, let's just. Whoa. All right. We'll just go with that. We'll just put us in the dark. Go ahead. We'll do it anyway. It can be all out there. So, uh, this past Friday, we had two people baptized, kind of twins at one time in the Christ. And uh, if I can have Milan, can you stand up? And Francesca. So that's uh, Milan Young. He was met by Christina Powell. And then we have Francesca. Come on, Francesca. You got to stand up. There you go. And Francesca, she is on the track team at Lima College. And so uh, it's great. We had a great time Friday night. So we were all at the, the Hyatt Hotel. There was about 50 people in there, and it was crazy fun. Uh, but you know what? A seed was planted back in January, and look at the fruit that's being done from it. Amen? All right. Let's get into the Word of God now. You know where we're going to start. Hebrews 11. Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to start in verse 32. Between two baptisms and John and Butler Dayton, my faith is strong in the Lord. <laughs> Jonathan, that was, it's going to be a while before I lay off of that one. Let me just say that. But you're a good man. You're a good man. All right, verse 32, it says, And what more shall I say? First John the Butler. No, no, no. Um, I don't have to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jethro, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weaknesses were turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured and refused to be released so that they may gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and floggings, while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground. They were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had what had promised, had been promised. God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. You know, we've been studying out faith and different characters in here and the faith, and now we're going to talk about Gideon here today. You know, there are times in life that everything is going well. You're just driving down the highway of life, enjoying peace and having a good time, and all of a sudden you hit a curve. And you get to that curve, and it causes you to make a decision. You know, even when you look up the word curveball, it is defined as a surprise or introducing something unexpected that requires immediate action. You ever felt like that? Like you just life is just going pretty good, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, something crazy happens. Today we're going to look at the book of Judges, at the life of Gideon, 
and see how he dealt with the curveballs that life threw him. Look in Judges chapter 5, verse 31. Old Testament. Judges chapter 5, verse 31. And I hope that we can gain some insight uh, from looking at Gideon's life and just see how this affects me today, thousands of years later. But God's word applies not only back then, but today as well. And in Judges chapter 5, verse 31, it says, So may all your enemies perish, O Lord, but may they who love you be like the sun when it rises in its strength. Then they had peace for 40 years. Again, in chapter 6, verse 1, Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. For seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count the men and their camels. They invaded the land and ravished it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. Now picture what's going on here. The nation of Israel had peace for 40 years. Everything was good. But then they did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So for seven years, the Midianites oppressed God's people. Now, I just want to be clear, because a lot of times people say, why did God do that to them? God did not do that to them. See, the way it works is that they were God's people, so God was protecting them. And Satan was still trying to get them, but he couldn't because of God's protection. So because of their sin, God just removed his protection. And the, and the Midianites came and ravished them. So it wasn't that God called the Midianites to come and do it. No, God just said, if you feel like you can do it on your own, I'll remove my protection from you. So God doesn't punish people. God will just relinquish his protection because Satan is the one that's coming after us, not God. So a lot of times we have to remember that because we'll look and say, well, why did God do that to them? Why did God didn't do it to them. They did it to themselves. And God just removed his protection from them. So the Bible says every time of the year at harvest time, they come in, they take all their cattle, they're just destroyed, killed, everything. They totally left them oppressed. Even to the point they started living in the mountains, in the cliffs. They just wanted to get away. They were so scared of the Midianites. The nation was at a low point, and they felt abandoned by God, and they didn't even know what to do. Now, I don't know about you, but have you ever felt, I have, have you ever felt like, you know, life has thrown me a curveball, and now we're just sitting here wondering, what is going on? Things were going so good. How did this one situation just mess everything up? You know, Lauren and I can have a great prayer time and have some great commitments in our marriage, and then one little situation to come in and just kind of mess up everything we just talked about. They act like it's just me and my wife, but I'm going to just ignore that. But there's things that happen that just throws you off. You know, when my father passed away, that really threw me off. He was so proud of me becoming a preacher, but he never got to hear one sermon I've ever done because he died before then. 
My daughter, when she was born deaf, that threw me off. Coming home from the fire department, getting into an accident, semi-truck hit me, that threw me off. I mean, the list can go on. I ain't even talking about football and the FBI. There's so many curveballs that have been thrown in my life. And then we look at these things and think, why? Why, why is this happening to us? Sometimes we can get so absorbed by the problem that we don't even see how to fix the problem. Because we're so absorbed by the problem, so caught up in the problem, we don't see a way out of it. We don't see how it can be fixed. And sometimes we just give up, get depressed, sleep, eat, watch TV, get on the computer, sin. We just, anything but the right thing we end up doing. Well, look at what it says in verse 6 again. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. The Israelites cried out because they knew if they had stayed on that curve much longer, they were going to crash. So I want to look at some truths about what happened with Gideon that hopefully we can follow and respond faithfully to the situation. Because you may have a big curve, a medium curve, or a small curve. There's a lot of curves that can be thrown at you. It can be an argument with somebody all the way to somebody not parking right in the parking space and you can't get in. And now you got to drive all the way around because somebody can't park right. You can have all kind of curves thrown at you. So the first thing I want to talk to us about today, when life throws you a curveball, let's talk about how do we handle it faithfully. The first one is this. We need to realize that God knows what the real issue is. God knows what the real issue is. Look in verse 7. Joshua 6, I mean, sorry, Judges 6, verse 7. When the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, said. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I snatched you from the power of, the, of Egypt and from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them from before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, for you have not listened to me. How many times do we find ourselves in a situation and we really don't see what got us into that situation in the first place? I can't tell you how many talks I've had with people, and you've probably had them or have seen it, where you're talking to somebody trying to help them get out of sin, and they end up getting upset with me because of me talking to them about the situation. In my mind, I'm thinking, wait a minute, if you didn't do it, we would be out fishing, prayer walking, at a movie, or something else. You the one did the situation, so why are you mad at me for bringing it up? So many times we get upset, it's called deflection. We get upset at so many people for how they said it or what they said it or what they're talking about. You're gossiping about me. How dare you feel this? Nobody's gossiping. We're trying to help you get out of sin. But when you're so caught up in your sin, all you see is everybody else coming at you instead of, if you didn't do it, we wouldn't have this conversation. This is, you got to realize, God knows the real issue. Because they cried out, God help us, we are in need, we're being oppressed. Now, if that was me, and I called out like that, I would think God's going to send about 30,000 people and just kill everybody. 
But God said, you know what? I'm going to answer your request, but it's not going to be the answer you think. So what he did is he sent an unknown prophet to them. And he said, well, first of all, this is why you're in the situation you're in. God brought you out of Egypt. He delivered you. Nobody oppressed you. And yet, you still continue to do the opposite of what God said. God said, don't worship their gods, and you did it. That's why you're in the situation you're in. And it's very simple. God did not give the people what they wanted. He gave them what they needed. And sometimes what we need is for somebody to tell us the truth about why we're in the situation we're in. Until you hear the real issue, you can never change the situation. And this is what we need to understand. They needed to know why they were being oppressed. So many times we need to know why life is the way it is. In order to fix a problem, we got to know what the problem is. You know, when I first got married, and as disciples in the kingdom, and I was in the ministry, we had bill collectors calling us, people threatening to turn off our lights. I mean, it was money issues galore. Now, when my wife asked me about it, I just said, look, we just don't make enough money. That's the problem. That wasn't the problem. The problem was I wasn't disciplined with the money that we had. So if we made more money, there's going to be more problems. More money, more problems. The issue is I needed to face the fact that I need to be disciplined with what God gave me. Thus, things would change. But instead, I wanted to blame it on we're not getting paid enough and I'm doing this, this, and that. You know, until I dealt with me, the situation didn't change. And I'm glad to say we haven't missed a contribution in over 24 years. I even gave part of my special contribution already. Things change because I said I need to change. Too many times we want things around us to change instead of realizing maybe I'm the real issue. Maybe there's something in me that needs to change. And until we face that reality, we're still going to stay on that curve. And pretty soon we're going to crash and burn. See, if you're studying the Bible right now, you've got to ask yourself, why am I not a disciple? Why not? I know it's the right thing to do. It makes sense. It's clear. I see it. Why am I not a disciple? You know, I appreciated Milan. We were like, he was going to get baptized on that Wednesday. But then all the snow came in and all that stuff. You know, Satan makes it snow every Wednesday and Sunday. You ever notice that? And sometimes on Fridays, if there's a Debo. That's how he works. Milan called me up like, why can't we get baptized? I mean, is this just snow? <laughs> he was eager. We said, well, we got to do it the next day. Let's just do it the next day. Let's just be safe. What, what if something happened tonight? I mean, he was like, you want to make sure, hey, I don't know, you know. But that shows eagerness. And then there are some people who say, well, you know what, I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait till, let's just wait till uh, uh, summertime. There was no snow and the sun's out and we can wear sunglasses down by the water. Why in the world would you wait if God says be urgent? All through the Bible, Ethiopian eunuch, saw water, why not be baptized? I mean, the, the, the jailer, he's like, hey, what do I need to do to be saved? Constantly, people see the urgency. Why wait? If you are a disciple, you've got to ask yourself, 
Am I growing spiritually? Why am I not playing a bigger role in serving the church? See, until you deal with the real issue, it's never going to change. I want the church to grow. I want the Bronx to be incredible. Well, when are you going to do something to help that happen? Well, you don't understand. I got all this. Mm-mm-mm. Deal with the real issue. We can't blame our kids. We can't blame our, our, our spouses. What is the real issue and why you're not stepping up? I appreciate Kimani. Even though he felt like his vision was all messed up, he said, you know what? It is what it is, but I'm here for God. So I'm going to get up here and do it because of God, not because of how people see me. I appreciate that. I think it's Stanley. Stanley get up here and he says what he says, whatever he said. And I'm thinking, you know what? I love Stanley so much. I, that could be one of my best friends. I can hang out with Stanley for about 30 minutes to an hour. And I'll be good. Can't go past that hour. <laughs> go about 30 minutes to an hour. Multiple times. And see, Valerie's sitting there like, yeah, but I'm 24-7 with him. <laughs> but Stanley is a great guy. And he gets up here and he just gives his heart. Because he gives his heart all the time. Now, the issue is, why isn't everybody else doing it? I mean, seriously, we all have our challenges. But until you deal with the real issue, it's never going to change. Okay, let me go on my second point here, because I can talk all day on that one. We'll move on. So the first point was this. God knows what the real issue is. And until you face it, it's not going to change. You're going to be on that curve forever until you deal with the real issue. Second thing is God knows your capabilities. God knows your capabilities. Again, Judges 6, look in verse 11. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Oprah and be- that, that belonged to Joash the Abazite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in the winepress to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. But sir, Gideon replied, If the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all the wonders that your fathers told us about when we said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us in the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? But Lord, Gideon asked, How can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh. I'm the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites together. It's very simple. Second point again, God knows our capabilities. God is about to give the solution to the problem. See, they knew there was a problem, so God says, I have a solution. And it's an unlikely source. We don't know what God saw in Gideon, but we know God saw something in Gideon because he called him a mighty warrior. Gideon had a lot of things against him. He was the youngest in his family. And uh, I'm the youngest of eight. Five girls and three boys. And uh, again, I had so many girls hand me down stuff, it was ridiculous. And uh, it it made me tougher, though. (laughs) But, But... My purple bike with flowers on it, that's how I learned to ride. 
And I just said, you want to ride? If you don't want to ride, you make fun of me. But they'd be quiet, then we ride on that banana, you know that banana seat you used to have, that big long seat? They made fun of me. Some of the clothes I had was some stuff. But when you're the youngest, sometimes you just feel like, man, ain't nobody listening to me. Nothing's going on. Not only that, but he, was a, he had the weakest family of all the families there. Not, not only that, but Gideon's father was one of the main idolaters of the city. And so he had family issues. He had personal issues. He had a lot of things against him. And you know, sometimes when God calls us to do something, that's the first thing we do is start counting all the issues against us. Well, I got this. I got that. I got this. I can't do this. I can't do this. My back hurt. My knees hurt. My bunions. I got cauliflower on my toes. We start naming up all these things we have. But with all these strikes against him, he had to realize God knew his capabilities. So what God was asking him was not beyond something he can do. Now, this is something we all need to realize. God is asking us to do certain things. But it's not beyond your capabilities. It doesn't matter what you have going on, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. God is saying, you still can do this. Why? Because it's not just you. I'm doing this with you. God will never call us to do something that we can't do. God will always be with us. That's the important thing for us to remember. No matter how many strikes you feel are against you, God is saying, they may be strikes against you, but I'm with you. And with me, you are greater than anything out there in the world. Keep your finger in Judges, but look over in 1 John chapter 4. We'll come right back to Judges, but 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. The Bible says, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist which you have heard is coming and now is already in the world. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world. And the world listens to them. We are from God, and whoever knows God listens to us. But whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. No matter how small, no matter how insignificant you may feel at times, no matter how young or how old, God can use you to do great things. This is what we need to understand. God knows your capabilities, and he's not going to call you to do something you can't do. The third thing we need to see here about Gideon, God will give you the confidence to make the tough choices. God will give you the confidence to make the tough choices. When we have issues in our lives that need attention, there are times that God will lead us to make some tough choices. Before Gideon could cleanse the nation of his idolatry, he had to cleanse his own house first. And again, in Judges 6, verse 23, Judges 6, 23, it says, But the Lord said to him, Peace, do not be afraid. You are not going to die. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called it, The Lord is peace. 
To this day it stands in Oprah of the Abazite. That same night the Lord said to him, Take the second bull from your father's herd, one seven years old. Tear down your father's altar to Baal. See, his father was a Baal worshiper. And cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on top of this height. Using the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down, offer the second bull as a burnt offering. So Gideon took ten of his servants and did as the Lord told him. Because he was afraid of his family and the men of the town, he did it at night rather than in the daytime. See, Gideon was called to clean house. And some of it had to do with his own personal house. Even his own father was going to have issues with this. But Gideon was willing to go beyond his fear and to be obedient to God. Many times the, the, the path to recovery starts with us. There's a lot of things you may see that needs to change. You know why you see those things? Because God chose you to do something about it. A lot of times we see things and then we either stay quiet or tell somebody else about the situation. God allowed you to see it so you can make a difference and change whatever it is. Then in verse 28, it says, In the morning when the men of the town got up, they saw Baal's altar demolished with the Asherah pole beside it cut down and the second bull sacrificed on the newly built altar. They asked each other, who did this? When when they carefully investigated, they were told, Gideon, son of Joash, did. The men of the town demanded of Joash, bring out your son. He must die because he has broken down Baal's altar and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. But Joash replied to the hostile crowd around him, are you going to plead Baal's cause? Are you trying to save him? Whoever fights for him shall be put to death by morning. If Baal really is a god, he can defend himself when someone tears down his altar. So that day they called Gideon Jeroboam, saying, Let Baal contend with him, because he broke down Baal's altar. You know what's amazing? His father, Gideon's father, went from a Baal-worshipping idolizer to now defending his son, saying, You know what? If Baal is who he says he is, then he can defend himself. If you live such a righteous life, you will impact your family. His dad went from worshiping Baal to testifying for the Lord. Listen, so many times we pray for our family, you need to live it out for your family. And if you live it out, they will see it and change. And this is where sometimes, well, what do I do? They're not changing. The issue is you staying steady on the course. Them watching you over time will change their hearts. If they can go from, he can go from being a bell worshiper to praising God, your family, your friends, your coworkers can change if they see a difference in you. The people weren't happy. They wanted to kill Gideon. His daddy stepped up and testified for him. Look in verse 33. Now all the Mennonites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples joined forces and crossed over the Jordan and camped in the valley of Jezreel. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, and he blew trumpets, summoning uh, Aborites to follow him. He sent messengers throughout Manasseh, calling them to arms, and also into Asherah, Zebulon, and Naphtali, so that they went to meet up with them. Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand, as you have promised, look, I will place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. If there is only, 
If there is dew only on the fleece and all the ground is dry, then I will know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you said. And that's what happened. Gideon rose earlier the next day. He squeezed the fleece and wrung out dew, a bowl full of water. Then Gideon said to God, do not be angry with me. Let me make just one more request. Allow me one more test with the fleece. This time, make the fleece dry and the ground around it covered with dew. That night, God did so. Only the fleece was dry. All the ground was covered with dew. Amazing. Here's Gideon. He's still not quite sure. He's like, okay, I'm being used by God, but I I still feel insecure about this. Now you look at this and say, well, then how is he in the hall of faith? Just because you may still have some insecurities doesn't mean you can't be a faithful person. You can have some insecurities, but you know what? He was still being obedient even though he was insecure. So which is greater, your confidence or your obedience? So he says, God, you know what? Make this fleece dry and the ground wet. And then he flipped it around. Make the ground wet, the fleece dry. He said, he did this because some people get all religious and that's what they do. Well, the Bible says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. He just tested the Lord. Well, let me tell you like Gideon's daddy said. Why are you talking about God like that? If he felt like he was testing him, God would have said, don't put me to the test. You don't have to try to defend God. God can defend himself. This wasn't a test of the Lord. What this was, was he was gaining confidence when he did this. See, it wasn't about God. It was about Gideon. And the more he gained confidence, look at how bold he got. Now he's calling 30,000 people, hey, come fight with me. He went from hiding to calling people to come fight for him. Because he started gaining confidence through obedience. When you're not obedient, you're not confident. And so this wasn't putting the Lord, the God, to the test. No. Again, if it was, God would have told him, shut up. Don't put me to the test. It was very simple. He he lacked confidence, but he didn't lack obedience. Now, the fourth thing I want to show us here, we're going to wrap it up real quick, maybe. Depends on how much you participate. God will give you victory when you trust him. God will give you victory when you trust him. Look in chapter 7, verse 1. Early in the morning. Now, first of all, every time that says that, that stands out to me. Because if God's calling us to do something or go into battle or like Abraham, go sacrifice your son, or Jesus about to go to the cross, you ever notice it's always early in the morning they got up to do something. How many times do we get up early in the morning to do something for God? Not go to work, do something for God. God starts saying, do it early in the morning. We'd be like, oh my goodness, you don't know what kind of day I have. We start bringing up the excuses and reasons. Sometimes to get out of your situation in life, you need to get up early in the morning. He said, early morning, Jerubel, Jerubel, that dude, that is Gideon, and all his men camped at the spring of Herod. The camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near the hill of Morak. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men for me to deliver Midian into their hands. In order that Israel may not boast against me that her own strength has saved her. 
announced now to the people. Anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left while 10,000 remained. And you would think that would just make you like, oh my gosh. 22,000 left? We're in trouble. Look at verse 4. For the Lord said again, there are still too many. Take them down to the water and I will sift them for you there. If I say, this one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say, this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So Gideon took the man down to the water. There the Lord told him, separate those who lap the water with their tongues like a dog from those who kneel down to drink. Three hundred men lapped with their hands to their mouths. All the rest got down on their knees to drink. The Lord said to Gideon, with the three hundred men that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let the other man go, each to his own place. So Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites to their tent, but kept the 300 who took over the provisions and trumpets of the others. Now, I don't know why God chose them. Maybe because if you get down and lap like a dog, <laughs> maybe you wasn't ready to fight. But if you do like this, you can be looking to see what's coming your way. I don't know. That's what I'm thinking. I don't know. But the fact is, he said, you got too many people. Because if I let you win, you're going to think because of all these men you had, you destroyed these people. How many times does God deliver us from something? And then we kind of take credit and forget what God did. It was not us. It's God that does it. But yet sometimes we feel like, look. And then we start sharing with people. Well, one time when I was a younger Christian, this is what I did. Did you really do it or did God do it? But we're so quick to take credit for things when God's the one that actually did it. And so God said, you know what? First 22,000 are going to leave. You got 10,000 left. Too many. You don't have to run until you see me running. Once I start heading out there, then everybody just go. <laughs> but I'm going to throw something on my way to slow them down. So I'm going <laughs> 10,000, that's too many. He said, now there's 300 left. See, that's the real 300. That movie was Sparta. This isn't Sparta. This is the real 300 right here that the Lord did. And he said, with these 300, then I will give you victory. But see, the issue now was with Gideon trust God with just 300 people. Think He had a lot more trust with 32,000. But then God said, 10,000, how much of your faith would start to shrink and then he said, no, 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 300. Ooh, how are we going to do this? I can't even count how many people they have, the Bible says. When they come and attack, you can't count the men and their camels and horses. And you're going to take 300 and we're going to destroy them all? See, that takes faith. That takes faith. So let me go to my last part here. I know the singers are up here ready. Let me get under here. Fifth and final point, Maybe. The battle, the battle belongs to the Lord. The battle belongs to the Lord. How many times have we tried to fight the battle ourselves and see where we've got? In jail, destroy relationships. I mean, we've tried to fight stuff and do it on our own so many times. But the battle is the Lord's. Again, look at what he says in Judges 6, verse 16. Judges 6, verse 16. The Lord answered, 
I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites together. It wasn't just about Gideon. He said, I'm going to be with you, and together we're going to strike all of them now. Does God want you to do battle against Satan on your own? Nope. No. That's why he gave you a mission team. If that ain't enough, he gave you a family group. If that ain't enough, he gave you this region. If that ain't enough, he gave you the whole church. If that ain't enough, go up to New England in July. You got 13,000 more up there. I mean, you got so many people fighting on your side, praying for you, helping you. The battle is not yours. It's not even all of us as members. It is God's. But God will give you what you need to be victorious. You know, whatever trouble you have in your life, whatever's going on, you have to realize God knows you are capable of being victorious. It comes down to you trusting him and to remember that the battle is not yours. When you invite somebody to church and they say no, they're not saying no to you. They're saying no to the Lord. That battle isn't yours. When you got that coworker that's just getting on your nerves, that's Satan trying to get you off track. But you have to remember, you are protected by God. And as long as you stay righteous, God's protection will always cover you. You know how hard it is to get out of the grip of God? If God has you in his hand, as it says in John, God has you in his hand. You you can't pry God's hand open, first of all. So you have to fight to get out of God's hand. You know, it is hard to fall away from the grace of God. That's not something that just happens in a day or two. You have to fight hard to get out of the hands of God. And see, this is what we need to realize. This battle isn't ours. God has it under control. God has your kids under control. Even if they're not faithful at this moment, God says, you just trust in me, and I'm going to help take care of the situation. Maybe your spouse isn't a part of the church yet. You just trust in me and live it out. They'll go from praising Baal to praising God because you're living faithful. God says, you got to remember, I know your capabilities. You keep saying you can't do it. God keeps saying you can. The issue is, are you going to face reality, the real issue? Not reality TV, but are you going to face the real issue? And once you do, the floodgates are going to open. I want to encourage you to go ahead and finish up reading the story of Gideon, what happened to him. But next week, we're going to talk about Barak, not Barack Obama, but Barak. And see what the next character in the Hall of Faith is all about. But when we look at Gideon, we don't need to see somebody as a wimpy coward, but a mighty warrior for God. Because even though he was insecure, he still was obedient to God. And his obedience led him to confidence and victory in the Lord. And to God be the glory. Amen.